I uh, didn't learn this on the internet, and it stuck with me my whole life. The capital of Djibouti is Djibouti. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and thank you for listening to the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast. My name is David Shockley. And I'm Morgan Miller. And this is the podcast where we interview people that aren't famous but should be. Joining us today is Dr. Brent Thompson. Brent, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. And just to start off, just to give people an idea of who you are, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do in your history? Well, I was born in Philadelphia suburb and went to University of Delaware, just sort of accidentally. <laughs> I had a, I had a, just walked in one day. Well, pretty much. I had a, uh, a friend who went, who went there. I was looking, I was going to a Penn State branch campus looking for a place to transfer to. And, uh, she went down there and I went to visit with her boyfriend and one weekend and I said, oh, this is a nice campus. And so I, I transferred to Delaware and, um, started as a biology major, never thought about what I really wanted to do thought maybe be a biologist, maybe be in medicine. And I had a roommate who was a biologist, and uh, he was really into it, and I realized I was not really into it. <laughs> yeah. I stayed in Russell C. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the campus of University mm-hmm. of Delaware, but um, on the east side of the school there. Was, and it was co-ed, which mm-hmm. was pretty radical at the time in the 70s. Whoa. My next door neighbor was a nursing major, and she said, I think you should, you should, you would make a good nurse. And that seemed very funny, particularly in the 70s. Was her name Penny? <laughs> <laughs> was this after the title sequence of American Pie? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said I would give it one year. I transferred to nursing, and I said I'll give it one year. And I ended up really thriving in it and really enjoying it. And... Um, after graduation, I went to Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and met my wife there. We worked, both of us worked on the oncology unit at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Yeah. And um, we were married not too long after that. And then I started going uh, back to gradu- graduate school with the thought that I would become more of a clinical specialist in pediatric oncology and ended up teaching some lab nursing students uh, their laboratory classes, which is basic skills is really what you, what you do. And I really liked it. And so I got a master's degree at Delaware while I was continuing to, to work at university at uh, Children's. And uh, they ended up hiring me to, to teach at University of Delaware. Oh, wow. And uh, so I worked as an instructor there. I was still going to Children's part-time. And then for some reason, it sounds very busy. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm not quite sure how it all worked out, but I ended up going over down the road to Newcastle County Airport and becoming a flight nurse with the Delaware National Guard. So I was doing all these different things at the at the same time. And so um, I've kind of lost track of where I was for a, some, for a while. I was doing nursing supervision at DuPont Hospital for children and working a chop and on the in the guard and teaching and sometimes working, I'd leave you didn't even know who you were working for anymore there were literally <laughs> days when I would come to the end of my driveway and have to remember do I turn left or do I turn right because it would depend on which you know which direction for which day because I would start to lose track so I ended up just doing mostly work at uh, University of Delaware and learning about teaching of nurses I would take nursing students to DuPont Hospital for children, and and then I was also in the Air National Guard, which is 
one weekend a month, two weeks in the year, and being in teaching the summer was easy time to do that. And then we would also fly on weeknights doing training missions, just practicing in the C-130s that you probably go right over your head here sometimes. <laughs> They love to ruin the sound. <laughs> Hopefully none of them come by to say hi right while we're doing this. It's the sound of freedom, David. <laughs> I have also flown in one of those before. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you get I, to do that? I was in a program called CAP, yeah, Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air Patrol. Mm-hmm. And when you go to encampment, which is uh, basically just boot camp, mm-hmm. you have to go to this boot camp program to proceed in rank, which... I'll tell you, 16-year-old Morgan was not thrilled. (laughs) But that was really cool. It's super-duper loud. Yes, I have the hearing loss to prove it. (laughs) So so I was in the uh, air guard there and then then learning about teaching and then sort of decided that teaching was really what I wanted to do, but I went in as a nurse. About what time was this? What year? This would have been in the late 80s. Okay. this is only like 10 year time span. You're doing yeah. This. Wow. Yeah. I graduated in 80 from. Is that uh, all? <laughs> I graduated in 80 from, uh, from University of Delaware and then got the master's in 85. And then um, in order to stay in teaching and academia at a four year college, it was becoming clear that you needed a PhD. And so um, Widener was starting a, a, a doctorate in nursing education. So I went up the road there. I was living in North Wilmington at the time. Oh, very convenient for you then. Yeah, it was very convenient. So anyway, I was able to go up there and get a and get a PhD in nursing education. Um, and then during that early '90s time frame, we adopted our first daughter 19, in 1990. Adopted our second daughter in 1992. My nurse, my wife, continued to be a nurse and. I, let's see, in 1990 was the Persian Gulf War uh, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And so we were activated as an aeromedical evacuation unit out of Delaware. And uh, I was sent to Saudi Arabia. That's amazing. (laughs) So I spent, um, but that was a much shorter war. You know, now we we have endless wars. That war was fairly brief, so... Right. Um, we, we, they were just talking about that. We almost went into war again just the other day. Yeah. Well, I was, ran and I was like, we were out of that one. It was a, <laughs> that one was over. It was a, just a busy weekend. They couldn't fit it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so much to do. Yeah. My mom was actually a um, field medic oh, in yeah? the army. Wow. Uh, yeah. So our, our job as a flight nurse was to take the wounded, you've seen MASH on TV, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. The idea was was to take a patient from the MASH unit and then fly them in the C-130 back to a bigger hospital where they could get more care. So the patients would have to be, were, are stabilized in the, um, in those MASH units and then flown, flown back in a, at that time in a C-130. They have some different planes that they use now. Could you imagine? When they get hurt like that, they don't go straight back to war? No. All right. Whew. I misunderstood. I was no, going to no, say, no, oh, no. my God. No, they can't. I mean, if, well, it depends on your injury. They can if it's minor. But anything that was serious enough to get into our plane, they would probably not be going back to work anytime soon. They got the pass. Yeah. Well, that's good. 
So let's see, we're up to the early 90s, right? So think, now, now getting into the late 90s, I finished my PhD. And, Morgan's learning to walk. And, okay. Green Day comes out with their debut album. <laughs> and uh, I was starting to uh, find out about this fascinating new thing called the internet. <laughs> and uh, I think it's going to be big someday. Mark my words. <laughs> And uh, I actually would go around and giving workshops on this thing called the internet. Really? And how I think that it might be something you'd want to look into. Things like a web browser were considered really, really exotic and just an amazing uh, thing. I remember I had an email address at the University of Delaware and I was one of the first people that I knew that even had one. So I had like nobody to write to because <laughs> nobody, else, nobody else had one. You're the guy who had the first telephone. Yeah. And so, I, was in, I was in Sweden. I remember, like this was 98, I was in Sweden and I was going to email back to the University of Delaware and my dad's like, aren't they going to charge you for that? Aren't they going to charge you for that? I'll make a collect email, Dad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Long distance email. Right. Do you accept? <laughs> So anyway, that was where I started getting into technology and getting learning about the idea of sort of changing the way we teach things. I can get into more of that later, but mm -hmm. I started getting into uh, getting into into this idea that you can't memorize everything. And one of the neat things about the internet is, is that you have this access to everything all the time, and that that was a really remarkable change. You know, for people who are younger, they may not they don't even know about a time. When, when that stuff was not um, available to us. Yeah, yeah. I only briefly remember a time without internet. I'm 27 years old, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember by the time I was probably 10, maybe, mm -hmm. was when we got our first computer. Mm -hmm. And I then shortly after that, probably when I was like 11 or 12, that's when we got the internet, and it was everything was new. Dial-up? It was dial-up, yeah, AOL. Get off the computer, yeah. I need to make a phone call. Yeah. You've got mail. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you brought up the internet because, uh, and about how it does connect us. You always are constantly surrounded by information and you can look up anything at any time. You actually reached out to us because of a post that Morgan had made on Reddit. Is that right? right? Yes. How did you first find out about Reddit? How do we find out about anything? I don't. I don't really remember. Uh, to be honest, it was one of those things where I was on another page, or maybe I Google searched and it linked me to a Reddit um, subreddit, and then I learned about it there. I think I've been on it for about five or six years. Man, longer than me. Yeah, that, that's about. I, that, I think I have a yeah six years. So you've been on there for quite a while. Yeah. What's what? your favorite part about Reddit? Um. The fact that you can ask questions and sometimes within minutes get answers to things. You know, I was traveling to England and there was a Ask UK, Ask UK subreddit. Oh, yeah. And so I put a few questions on and got answers back, you know, within, within minutes. And it was just really remarkable that you can have, you know, that stuff you couldn't, it was things that you couldn't look up yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's the kind of that's the kind of thing I wanted to, to know about. I was, if you want to know like where do you park in the, some city you're going to? Well, you could do Google searches and get a list of parking lots. But if you do a search on a subreddit, you find the people that live there will tell you, oh, you know, here's where you want to go, here's where you don't want to go. So 
you get that person personal to personal communication, but it's also anonymous too, which is also good and bad sometimes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a dangerous combination. Yeah. Anonymous people have the worst things to say. That's what amazes me is the things that get downvoted on Reddit. It's like you put some kind of innocuous thing or a little joke and like you you see you got eight upvotes and two downvotes and it was like why did you give this a downvote? <laughs> who's, who's downvoting this? Right. You're like, you know, <laughs> who's that angry yeah i like my cat eight upvotes one two down like what do you mean <laughs> you you don't like that i like my cat okay you should only hate your cat <laughs> your cat's not as cool as my cat what's your favorite subreddit my favorite subreddit i think the ask me anything the ama you know i love mm. i love when you because it gets into that whole thing where you find out details about um people who have very specific jobs or interesting lines of work or people that you may have seen in their celebrity status but then find out more detail about their lives. You know what blew my mind? I had like a financial question and I looked it up on Reddit and there was just answers. Real people answers to my question. Yeah, yeah. There's a personal finance subreddit that's That's very good. Yeah, so a lot of people who have issues or questions and things like that or about loans or credits or bankruptcies and things like that you can get a lot of information on that that's a great subreddit i'm sub to that one and i read that all the time Mm -hmm. sometimes i get i feel bad when i read it because it's people that are in very difficult financial situations oh and you just learn like about all this intimate drama about their life and it's just like god i just want to learn more about this person mm-hmm. this sounds juicy yeah. <laughs> why isn't this a tv show yet yeah it's like i feel bad because they're in really rough spots but thankfully they have a resource to ask like how do i get out of this and people give real answers mm-hmm. and actually give damn good advice some other subreddits i like is uh, forwards from grandma yeah. <laughs> um, that one is a lot of memes that somebody's grandmother sent them. That's and they're usually some horrific political or religious view. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, Grammy, thanks for sharing. And uh, so there's that. But what's good about that is, again, it lets you see how the rest of the world is. Because one of the things about Reddit is it skews young, it skews liberal. And so we don't, you know, you don't realize, you know, sometimes how the other world is, is thinking or, or, or seeing things until you, until you see those forwards from grandma. <laughs> You're like, Jesus Christ, grandma. Yeah. You get real drunk going the Donald. <laughs> That's scary sight. That's yeah. a scary sight for me. But I think my favorite subreddit is uh, Grandpa Joe Hate. It's uh, <laughs> people that have a deep-seated hatred for the grandpa in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, well, that's all valid, I would believe. <laughs> I feel very validated. As soon as I found this, I was like, there are others just like me. Uh, he's a horrible person, a horrible he human being. He lays there for there. years and years in a bed. They have two beds pressed together, and there are six uh, grandparents there, and... One day the grandkid comes in with a fun prize and he can just walk all of a sudden? I think he would have probably uh, had a lot of problems with walking. Right. Considering how long. So much muscle loss. Right. But he may have been dancing or doing other things when they weren't looking so that he kept up his muscle (laughs) muscle mass. He bribes the other grandparents to say anything about this and I will take your kneecaps. Right. 
And then he just does this great cha-cha routine <laughs> out of nowhere and just sits back down and just don't say a fucking word. <laughs> and you! Remember the Six Flags had that old guy that did the dancing? Maybe it was him. <laughs> that was maybe him! That was, maybe that was that's his who side it was. gig. <laughs> when the other two parents were working very hard to make that cabbage stew. Yeah. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> cabbage stew. My favorite subreddit is... Bunnies or buttholes? <laughs> I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that one. That you got to check that one out. Uh, it's exactly what you think it is. It's <laughs> it's like a 50-50 subreddit okay. where you're gonna click the link and it's a fifty percent chance that it's gonna be an adorable rabbit or fifty percent chance that it's just gonna be somebody's butthole. Oh, I think I'll pass on that one. <laughs> I imagine you've seen a lot of buttholes in your in your work. But, but I get paid for it. I don't need to do it. Vol- <laughs> I, I don't need to do it voluntarily. You yeah. so. <laughs> no, um, I don't mean to brag, but my cat was Reddit famous. Oh, yeah? Yes. On curled feetsies. Oh. 2,000 point, like, seven upvotes on my cat. Very good. The most I ever got for a posting was a picture that I posted of, that my wife took as a kid in Yellowstone Park of people outside their cars feeding the bears. <laughs> it was Why? kind of a WTF uh, moment there, um, which they would throw you out of the park today if you tried that. But um, at that time, there was just a whole whole line of uh, station wagons with people feeding feeding this family of bears. Oh my gosh! I don't know if there's anything. Cubs, and everything. So I'm not sure. Very dangerous. Not sure if there's anything that makes me chuckle more than watching bears walk on two legs. <laughs> <laughs> they just waddle side to side. It's very cute. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think it's time to get I think it's time to get a shot in us. What do you think? Sure. Eleven thirty in the morning. Uh, in the morning, perfect timing. Cheers. Cheers. Eleven thirty in the morning. Oh, breakfast. Oh. <laughs> I had to force myself to eat this morning. I was like, you are consuming alcohol in the morning. You have to eat before this. Oh, it's already warm. Right? Ooh. What's your favorite type of bourbon? Uh, Maker's Mark 46. Ooh, that's a good one. Have you ever had the, the cigars? No. The Maker's Mark cigars? No. They're really good, too. I think they dip it in the bourbon. No, not a cigar oh, smoker. that's interesting. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I never got into smoking. When I first started Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, they smir- nurses smoked in the nurses' conference room. We would get change of report <laughs> in a room smaller than this, and there would be people smoking. And they sold cigarettes in the lobby of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. What is it? What is it like being from that time era and knowing what you know now? <laughs> does does thinking back to what you saw like blow your mind? Or well, yeah, it is interesting because when I see um, people today who get very upset about things that happened in the seventies, oh, you shouldn't have spoken to that person who was you know who was a segregationist, for example, that's in the news now. And I said you didn't live in that time, you know, in Newcastle County was had a the schools weren't segregated legally there, but there was a de facto segregation and so it, and there was an effort to change it with busing and so kids that lived in Newark would be bused to Newark and kids that lived in Wilmington would be bused to 
uh, new art, you know, at certain grades. It was very controversial because you had people that lived across the street from a school, let's say in Newark, and then you're, but you don't go to that one. You can't just walk across the street. You have to get on a bus and go to Wilmington, which was over an hour. And it was just logistically, I mean, even if you don't think about the racial implications, it just logistically, it was uh, an, an annoyance for a lot of people. And so. Um, that sounds annoying. Yeah. I, I mean, it had, it had a good motive. It had a good motive uh, reason for doing it, but the actual system met a lot of resistance but also things like and I didn't see this but my my mother or my um, my wife recalls that in the 60s in Westchester where she grew up Pennsylvania the uh, lunch counters were segregated they didn't have signs it was just sort of a de facto thing that you you know you should know where you should go and the movie theater in Westchester, Pennsylvania, right up into the 60s, had a balcony for blacks. But we, a lot of people don't think of that. They always think, oh, that was some kind of southern problem, that segregation was something that happened down there. But it was really everywhere. Um, you know, we, we, we have awareness now. We're woke now. We understand, <laughs> we understand that it's wrong today. But what I think people have to understand is you cannot go back in time and say, well, you should have known better. Right, because um, that's just because, how it was. Yeah, and 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 change changes happen slowly, and they never happen as much as you would want. They never happen to the degree that you want. There's still so much to do in so many areas. Um, but if you didn't grow up in those times, like you know I did, and then the people before me did, you know I I had advantages of living in a time post civil rights laws my parents did not you know so yeah and it's also that like right now there's things going on that we're not aware of as wrong sure i mean i would say just in the last year or two just the awareness of trans yeah people yes. and their and their issues which you know a lot of it was new to me you know, i actually I used reddit to learn about and, trans right, people exactly and so you you know, so so I always th remind people who always want to criticize us, think your children are going to criticize you about the positions that you hold today. Um, you never, you, you know, we, we I, I like to think that things are always getting better, that there's always uh, an adv advancements in things. But I also know that it's uh, it can be a slow road. Mm -hmm. uh, there can be setbacks. And then, but but the overall trend line is going up yeah mm -hmm. you had something to say about that the other day yeah i have a I, what i like to say to myself to kind of keep myself positive is it always seems like things are getting worse but things are always getting better yes the more they seem like they're getting worse they are getting better. the other thing is i think sometimes setbacks help energize and can help people coalesce their ideas and and get together and sometimes that's how things change when they start to see the damage that the setback causes where they didn't see it before, now they're now they're energized to say, "Oh, let's let's make things better." Like one step back, two steps forward. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And you unify with a common enemy. Right. Oh yes. It's like, well, listen, I know we have our differences, but that's fucked up. We got to do something about that. That's how I feel about the uh, the whole um, abortion thing right now. I feel like there's been a setback, but there is like this giant mass of people that are coming together and working towards a common goal now. In what issue? Uh, abortion. 
Oh, um, abortion. I thought you said awards shows. I'm like, <laughs> award shows? Why is that a problem? Yes, I have strong feelings I told about you the my hear, I told you my hearing was lost from the C-130. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> there is a problem with award shows, too. I think yes. we need to bring that yes. up as well. It's just a nightmare. Well, beauty pageants, definitely. I don't know why oh, that's even... A, why is that a thing in 2019? I don't even understand. I don't know, man. They're horrible. There, there is no reason for it. At a... At a a lower I was doing some reading about it about like why it's a thing that, and it's at like a local level it's fine it gives you know these young women or these the children these girls confidence and you know to like get on stage and perform and stuff like that but then once it goes past that that little threshold that's when it gets like weird. national yeah the second it goes national it's ugh, becomes about something far more entirely you know have you ever seen that show pageant moms i've yes. seen i've seen things about it i've never Me actually too. watched it I just see those moms and I'm like, oh my God, those kids are going to have some real issues when they get older. Mm-hmm. Toddlers and tiaras. Yeah. That that's kind the of one. thing. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a few questions about the sure. medical field. Sure. And in your work in it. Sure. Um, I've heard this. Do nurses make the worst patients? I would say not with other nurses because we're sort of more understanding and more for- forgiving. I know when I've been a patient, my wife's been a patient. We are really nice to the nurses, and so they're nice to us. So they, w- I would say, no. But if things were not going well, if things were were not being done right, God help you, because <laughs> we know who to talk to and we know how things should be done. But you know, the nice thing about nurses is, and the one thing I re- the thing I like about being in nursing, is that nurses are generally nice people. They want, they want to be around other people. They want to help people. Um, I always thought that was the advantage of being a nursing instructor, was I had, a, I had nice students. They were just nice people. They were, they were people I was proud to, to know. And, and so I think, so, uh, so I would say no, I don't think nurses make the worst. <laughs> With your back, when you are a patient, yeah, are you just always critiquing them constantly? Is it just in your blood now? Uh, not terribly, no. I, you know, you, I also know as a nurse, there's a lot of different ways to the same end. <laughs> the other thing you learn as a nurse is you don't know every specialty, and so you know if if I'm ta- if I'm working in pediatric oncology, uh, I know you know everything I, I think I should know in that area, but when I had a meniscus surgery, I didn't know much about that, and so I I trust the people that are taking care of me. I, did you get that done locally? Um, I did it in, um, it, uh, yeah, it was at the uh, near Christiana Hospital in the Orthopedic Center. Have you ever had to pull anything out of somebody's butt? <laughs> <laughs> Poop. Get People get impacted. That if, you don't pass, if you don't pass your stool, uh, it dries up, turns into little, little rocks, and you have to, oh you have to do... Digital extraction, which is not uh, the Digital. opposite of analog extraction. It's using your fingers to pull it out. At first, I was like, digital, and then I was like, fingers. Oh, no. I once had to help um, wire up a, a gastroenterologist, the butt doctor. Um, and there are these uh, jars that they have up on the wall. That's got to be a show. And uh, they had all the nurses viewing the, the construction area. And I pulled one aside and was like, what are these jars for? And she said, poop. Mm. Poop. And I was well, like, I remember oh. 
as a nursing student, I was at the VA hospital in Ellesmere, and we got a tour of the hospital, and they took us down to the morgue and uh, went in, and there was all these jars on the wall. And the first one I see is named, it has a label on it, it says Thompson. It's somebody's <laughs> body part in there. So oh. I was like, oh. <laughs> as long as it was, I've been more afraid if it was empty, because it was like, oh, maybe they're waiting for me to come. So. <laughs> Do you ever do you get desensitized to that type of stuff that that kind of morbid reality that you're faced with, or is, does it still shock you the same every time? Uh, no, you, you know it's funny. You you go into a little like a professional mode where you just get focused on things and you're sort of looking things um, uh, with a different eye, and then afterwards you can get more shocked by it or or break down. Like the first time I had a patient that had a code. And I went through like everything almost robotically, like you're trained to do all these steps and to do these things. And I went through it all, and then afterwards, like melted, self so breaking oh. down because you. But while I was there, you know, you had to be so strong. I can only imagine. Yeah, you know, but it's one of those things too where you. I mean, I still work as a nurse by the bedside, and I still have to to do things with wounds and poop and all that stuff. And um, it doesn't really. You know, I wouldn't do it with you because you're not in that relationship. But when it's your patient, mm -hmm. it's it's a different, you know, it's a whole different thing. I don't get upset by it. I don't get bothered by it. Okay. If you if you pooped on the floor right now, I would get upset. I would also be very upset yeah. with me. I would have questions. I'd be like, what trauma caused this instantaneous poop? I'd want to know why you didn't wait until we had the video podcast. <laughs> That's a fair question, David. <laughs> Can you uh, tell me a little more about what a flight nurse is? Sure. There's two different kinds of flight nurses. The, the most common one are the uh, cute flight nurses that fl uh, fly. <laughs> not cute, like <laughs> acute. We have this cat. She'll be taking care of you. <laughs> that uh, fly trauma victims. So if you're on 95 and you have an accident and it's and the, they can't drive you to the hospital, they fly you. Well, that's, that's what most flight nursing is. It's a... Uh, very quick ride. You you stabilize the patient as best you can on the way to the to the hospital. So essentially, like a, a paramedic. Very much so, um, with a lot of uh, trauma skills on how to take care of people who are who have just experienced trauma. There's a thing called the golden hour, where you have one hour from the time that you're in the worst of accidents. If you can get to a trauma care center, you have a very high chance of surviving. And so that's why they use the, the helicopters, and that's what the flight nurses are trained trained to do. Those are in rotary aircraft helicopters. Uh, the kind of flight nursing I did was in fixed wing, which was a C-130. The and obtuse it, nursing. <laughs> okay, yes. So, yes. Yes. That's, I've been described that way many times. Um, and I would go in, we would... After the patients are stabilized, <laughs> you then move them. And they fly for hours and hours and hours. Like there was one time I had to fly a patient from Oman to the Fleet Hospital in the UAE, and it was a five or six hour flight. Is there something that you learned as a flight nurse that you wouldn't have learned otherwise? Uh, as a flight nurse, as far as the nursing care itself, the reality is, is that it's, you know, the, the care that you can give is very minimal in the aircraft. It's really keeping people, just, just keeping them stable, which is a little different from the nursing care that I was used to, where 
you're giving lots of medications and you're dealing with a lot of patient teaching and doing a lot of things that are way beyond tasks. Uh, so it's a very different type of nursing uh, that you do there. So, you know, that, that's, so what I learned was things like when you take a blood pressure, you can't use your stethoscope because you can't hear <laughs> anything. <laughs> so you, so, so you use, you use your fingers, you, you pump up the pump and then you oh, release it. And when you feel the pulse, then you know that that's your systolic um, blood pressure. You know, whenever I have my blood pres uh, pressure taken, they could say any number in the world. And I would be like, probably good. And they say good every time. So I just, I don't worry. But it could be like a thousand over two. And I'd be like, that's probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a lesson on blood pressure after the recording. Uh, but you're right. I actually just got my blood pressure like checked the other day. And <laughs> she just gives me the numbers like such and such over such and such. And I'm like. Oh, great. <laughs> well, that's, you know, and that brings up a good point in that too many people in medicine use jargon, use, use numbers, and don't explain things and assume that people know because that's one of the things that happens. You, talking, you were asking me about, you know, just getting used to things. You get used to those numbers. So you look at the numbers and you say, okay, fine, and you go on. And you don't realize sometimes you need to explain mm -hmm. in detail. And even if I gave you the two numbers and said, okay, they're okay, do you know, actually know what they mean? No. Most people do not. Mm -mm. So, Nursing seems to be this interesting mix of technical and medical skills, but with this combination of almost like customer service skills. Yeah, it's actually described as an art and science. Nursing is, a, is, is an art and science because you have to have a lot of, to be a good nurse is not to just be technically proficient. You also have to be... Uh, somebody who can have empathy, you have to have a high emotional intelligence where you can try to see how people are, are feeling. You don't want to get in a situation where you're walking out of a patient's room saying, everything okay? And before they can even answer, you know, you're out the door. You don't want, you know, uh, you don't want to be that kind, of, that kind of nurse. You have to be able to look at people, read the, the nonverbals, know what to say in return. If, if a you know, a, a child says to you, am I going to die? Oh, my God. And that's happened to me. Ugh. You know, how do you... How do you say yes? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what the right answer is? What Please. the best answer is? I have to know now. Okay. Please tell Crying me. profusely on their chest, <laughs> yeah. of course. <laughs> it's something along the lines of... I got my drink ready. Are you concerned about dying? Or is this something that you're thinking, you're thinking about? and you expand to see what that is. You have to understand is sometimes when people ask you a question, they're not asking you for the answer to that question. It's part of a bigger answer. It's part of bigger questions that they're having. It's part of what their concerns are. So you, you, know, you have to understand, and one of the great things about, I think, being a nurse is you've learned, I learned, I think, on how to, to listen to the meaning of what people are, are asking and not just the, the answer. The, 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 the answer, you know, the, the concrete answer is, yes, you're going to die. Everybody's going to die. <laughs> but that's not really what's being asked. And that's the question is what's really being asked. You know, while you're telling me about this, I, I was thinking, how do you handle somebody that just has an overall bad attitude? How do you um, give excellent are... patient care to somebody that's just being? Well, that's what restraints are for. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. 
Um, Only kidding a little. <laughs> now, what you, what you understand, is too, is that as a nurse, you are often meeting people at the worst day of their lives. Mm-hmm. You're meeting families whose, you know, their father's just had a stroke, a child who's just hit by a bus. Uh, you know, I dealt with a lot of parents and children who were just diagnosed with cancer. So you're dealing with people who aren't at the, going to be at their best. They're not going to be happy and sunny and thoughtful of your or my feelings. And so I accept that, and I don't really expect them to be. Um, and again, you look past it and you try to empathize and saying, well, what is it? What would I be like? What would people be like in that situation? And that's how you respond. That, that's what helps you respond to that. I forgive, and um, like I said, I know when I've had parents who are very upset, and you get parent, you get a lot of times you get patients who are demanding. Mm-hmm. One of the common common complaints in nursing is a lot of times patients will come to a hospital and think it's the um, the Four Seasons, mm-hmm. and that they should have um, you know service at their beck and call and complain about things and and don't, that that don't matter. And, and look past the things that do. One of the ongoing complaints right now is that a lot of um, effort is put in a lot of hospitals with patient satisfaction surveys. And so if you get a bad patient satisfaction survey, it can hurt you as a nurse. And I always felt that most patients right, do not know about what's going on behind the scenes. So for example, a good nurse will know before an IV runs out to go in and change the bag. And they change it and the alarms never go off and you may never even be aware of it. The bad nurse lets them run out but comes in right away and changes the bag. So the bad nurse might get a better patient satisfaction because the patient saw what they did and think, oh, look at that, they're taking care of me. Where I would look at it and say, you fool, you let that bag run dry. Or, you know, and I, I always think it's the same thing with like a, an airline pilot. You don't get, you don't see all the things that go up on the, in the cockpit. You, and it's the same thing with nursing. You don't know the nurse that had to argue with the physician to get the order changed that, that's going to make you feel better. You don't know about it. You're not aware of it at all. Uh, and so how, you're not even in a position a lot of times to, to make judgments. That's fair. What TV show? do you think best represents like life as a nurse, like at a hospital? None. <laughs> no, there's never, there's never been one None? and you would never want to see one, frankly. Do you ever, uh, um, do you ever watch them? I have, um, they're awful. Um, <laughs> Not even ER? I mean, the, the, per, the, the nurses are usually either um, angels of mercy or whores. <laughs> you know, they oh, in the shows in the shows oh, they yes. they they either are the most wonderful saintly people or they're um, out to to get um, and they're usually they're usually women and they're usually out to get a man or something. So, yeah, most people in medicine just laugh and laugh and laugh at medical shows. You know, you see the um, you know one of the nursing reddits I, the the reddit I go to a lot is nursing our nursing. And you'll see pictures that people take of screenshots where uh, IVs are put in backwards and, oh. and, and um, people are intubated. Instead of having it going down the throat, it's taped to the side of the mouth and things like, you know, just crazy stuff. And so it really, as when you know what's going on, it really takes you, you out, of the, out of the show. 
And okay. shows like Nurse Jackie, you know, I wish where she was a. Uh, Eddie Falco is amazing. Un, Don't you dare. She's say a wonderful back. actress, but as but as far as her portrayal of the nursing profession, oh, and, yes. uh, I I didn't like. But was was that the worst one? Who, who's who's the worst? Uh, who misses the mark totally? What show? Is it Scrubs? Is it Nurse Jackie? Who is it? I feel well, like... Scrubs didn't even have that many nurses. I, I probably Scrubs had the best nurses. I think. Right, I thought so. And there was like they lots were the of most. Dude, uh, they were nurses. most of the. They were the probably the most human of the the nurses. The worst of the shows, where you never even see the the nurses, and the physicians Crazy. are the ones who are doing all the care, and it's like they don't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what do these nurses got to do now? Right. Yeah. My guilty pleasure in life is uh, Grey's Anatomy. I, I love it. I, <laughs> it's, it's mindless TV you that shuddered. I know can't even come um, close to being reality. And I'm just like, yes, of course. That's probably one of the best examples of where the nurses are totally in the background. I was going to say, that's what I thought you were going to say, because they are never even once mentioned. You know, one nurse, two nurses' names. Yeah, I after the first season, I turned it off and have never watched it since. But and these surgeons are giving such they're like by these patients' beds, and I was like, I, I've had surgery twice, and I've seen the surgeon thirty seconds before I went to sleep. Yeah, they have their job, they do it well, and then they move on to the next one. They don't, they don't hang around the patients' beds. So I like have no delusions that that's true, but something about watching those doctors. Being absolutely ridiculous makes me feel good about my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also sets up unrealistic expectations. That's oh. the other problem that patients, that we as nurses face, is that they think Dr. House is going to come and fix them, <laughs> find their problem, and that, you know, all the physicians are going to hang around, and, and then they, well, wait, why, am I, why am I getting a nurse? Why aren't I getting this <laughs> physician sitting by my bedside holding my hand all night? One thing about Dr. House that I like is that he actually hates patients. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think we've teased you long enough. I think we should move on to the reason you're actually here sure. to talk today, now that we've wasted enough of your time. Um, you're actually here today to discuss the way that we learn. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that? Sure. I'm here to tell you that Idiocracy is a documentary. You're familiar with the movie, 2006 the movie? movie? Yes. Oh. Idiocracy. I it haven't was, watched it for years and years, but I, I recommend it. you watch it because I think it's scary because it's becoming a documentary that people really are losing their ability to critically think. Mm -hmm. um, another example from from popular culture is: um, Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Oh my God! I anytime I've turned that on, I'm like, Am I? Right. <laughs> and here's my here's my answer to that: When you when you have that reaction, which most people do is why are fifth graders being taught information that and no adult knows or needs to know? Yeah. And that's that's my point is actually, is that if you can understand that, you know, that these kids are being taught things that have no real meaning and that are, are useful, useful information or information <laughs> that they could use uh, to memorize, that's the problem is the world has always been complex. It's not that, you know, we always, oh, it's more complex today. No, it's always been complex. It's just that our ability to uh, have access to the information that we need has been more limited. And so you had to become a specialist in some area. You had to learn lots and lots of details. You memorized lots of things so that you could be called on for your expertise. And we still have that and we probably always will. But for a lot of the day-to-day -day things, 
you folks have already mentioned that you go, have gone to Reddit to find answers to questions. I go to Reddit to find answers to questions. I've fixed a lot of appliances in our house using YouTube videos. I was just going to mm -hmm. say that. The other day, I didn't know how to do something at my job. I didn't know yeah. how to make a four-point offset um, um, saddle bend. Mm -hmm. Learned it on YouTube instantaneously. Right. Didn't have to ask nobody in the room. Right. So you learned, you, you, you can, you've learned how to learn. And that's really what I'm asking people to do is to, and, and, and in nursing and medicine in particular, there's been a long history of focusing and valuing uh, memorization. That if you can memorize this, you know, all these bones and all these muscles and all these drugs. And, and then I soon became to realize that you will remember the things you need in life. The things you don't need, you can look up. And so, you know, going back to my biography there, one of the things, one of my first research projects was to get palm pilots this was an age before smartphones. Was oh, palm like pilots. the Tom Tom? Yeah, there was a Palm Pilot. Was um, it, it was think of it like an, an iPod Touch, where it doesn't connect. I mean, it could it you can download applications into it, and you can. I think there was some rudimentary uh, um, internet access, but the idea was is that, for example, one of the tools on it was a drug guide. Now, traditionally, traditionally in nursing education, you would have to memorize lots and lots and lots of medications and all the side effects that you could. The reality is, is nobody can do that. That's why they made a book that's this, that's three inches thick. You have to, uh, you know, know the drugs that you use, but there's every day you're going to meet a drug that you, you don't know. So what I started doing with my students was giving them these Palm Pilots and saying, Instead of memorizing the drugs, at the beginning of the shift, you get this list of meds that your patient's going to have. I want you to look them up, and we're going to review them and think and talk about, you know, what you why they're being given, and not just not just the facts about it, but why is this medication being given? So the other key there is context. So instead of just learning facts, and that's the thing about, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Everything is without context. And that's why the random, you know, what's the, the leading imp, uh, export of Bolivia? It's tin. But did you ever need that? It, did you ever need that information? Never. No, you never so needed you know that information. But if you were interested in tin and where it came, came from, you could have looked it up and found it. And then you would always remember it. You know, because let's say you're in the tin business, you would want to know that. There's a tin salesman who's listening to this show. <laughs> Finally. I, know, I know that's your big demographic, it is. is the tin, tin, tin salesman. But I uh, didn't learn this on the internet, and it stuck with me my whole life. The capital of Djibouti is Djibouti. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a teeny tiny uh, You country. just like to say Djibouti. It yeah. doesn't just like to say Djibouti. You just like to say Djibouti. I learned it in sixth grade. It stuck with me ever since. Yeah, you've been shaking your Djibouti ever since. Ever since. <laughs> so the idea is that you learn things as you need them, and if you learn them in context, they stick. I, you know, when I think back to my days in the University of Delaware 40-some years ago, I remember the things that, like, I had to teach a patient because I had to look them up and I had to get a presentation together and I had to teach them. But all those other lectures, I'm sorry to say to those poor instructors that taught me, there's a lot of stuff they told me that I do not remember because I learned it for the test. Mm -hmm. I recorded it on a test well enough to get through. 
and then I promptly forgot it. Are you saying that um, learning on the job is probably better? Absolutely. I would like to agree. Absolutely. And that's the whole key, and that's kind of what I've been working at in my, in my teaching and my talks with people, is that um, instead of giving a lecture and giving lots of facts about things, give people a situation. So instead of just saying, okay, here's diabetes and here's what it does and, and here's the medications that we give, you give people a situation. Oh, you've got a 12-year-old who's now uh, very hungry, peeing all the time, and, um, and you take their blood sugar and it's 600. It should be 100, 120. Ooh. So you don't know that. You know, you know, so when you're new to all that, you, just like you said, is that what happens? So you so you give people a little introduction to it, but then you show them where to find the information, and so you then work through the situation. You give this, you give the students the situ, how to how to look up the information, how to use it, what does it mean, um, and you can walk them through the walk them through the case. They remember it much better, and they understand what they're learning. And after and after they take the test. They remembered because they had to use that information and not just memorize it for a test. Our memories, uh, you know, there's a few people that can remember everything they learned, but most people do not. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a, a limited amount that we can hold on to. And those I push grandma's birthday out to learn all these side effects of ibuprofen. Right. And those people love to tell you about it, that they know a lot. Right, and 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 there's some situations where it isn't. It is good to know a lot of information about things, and that's why I said we still need experts. And I'm, I'm not saying that we'll never memorize anything again. But what I am saying is, you memorize the things you need to know that you need to learn, and uh, don't worry about trying to get people. You sh we shouldn't in education be trying to get people to memorize f just facts without context. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. And I, we were talking about, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I think that framed your point very well because these are kids that are seen as quote unquote smart kids mm -hmm. that they're on, the, they're on a TV show mm -hmm. because they've memorized random facts. Right. So with all this said, how do you feel about Jeopardy? Uh, I love Jeopardy. I do. I watch it. I watch we it. We found his Achilles heel. I watch it. How um, devastated are you about Alex? About Alex? Oh, very. Although, amazingly, it sounds like he's doing very well. He still looks very well. I saw an episode like Well, two he's wearing a wig, ago. by the way. But, oh, um, I did not notice. Yeah, he is. He is but looking the terrible. To, the other thing to remember is that those shows that you're seeing now were recorded back in March or April. So You're right. He, he um... But but the reports I've been hearing lately on the R Jeopardy website uh, subreddit There's is that. is that he's doing that is that he is doing well. So he's been getting some. There are some very intriguing new treatments that I'm sure he's getting. He's getting the best of the best for yeah. sure, right? But the I thing mean, the thing with Jeopardy is it's not just memorization. I mean, you have to have good you have to have good recall and you have to be pretty good at uh, trivia. I think James showed us showed us uh, the power of having a lot of trivial knowledge um are you talking about that guy that was winner for james like, holzhauer he, he was like on there for like seven yeah, to one almost so one crazy. two million dollars but wow and that was really you recent. um but a lot of it it's also figuring out the 
it's a bit of a puzzle. A lot of times you have to figure out the, the category oh, and it's the, asking for two words that one starts with B and one starts with C. And so, you know, it's not just memorizing, you have to be able to have a good, just a good knowledge base. We, one of the things about learning how to learn mm -hmm. is, is defying ignorance. Mm. And have you noticed that people that have the most opportunity to be proven wrong are so are the most resistant to it? Why do you think that is? Um, well, there's a thing called confirmation bias where people only want to hear what they want to hear. <laughs> and so they exclude the facts that contradict what they want to, that they uh, want to hear. There's a thing <laughs> called cognitive dissonance where people, uh, have trouble if if they're given a fact that contradicts what they've that what they've heard and they get very confused uh, and we see a lot of that today um, you know one of my great concerns is uh, the the growing anti-vaccination movement you it's a big have, deal you have people out there who are um, just spreading lies about it I've been a nurse for many many years I've been studying it very very closely. I would not be giving vaccinations to my children and hundreds of children if I didn't think that it was safe and effective. I also grew up in a time, that's the other thing, is we talk about being older and being new, mm -hmm. you know, being younger, is that I grew up in a time when measles and German measles and um, chicken pox and all these things were not preventable with a vaccine. You can and prevent chicken pox? You have a chicken pox vaccine, yes. I got the chicken pox. Well, maybe you probably were too young to get the vaccine. The vaccine didn't come out until the late 90s. Oh, I was going to say, excuse me. I specifically remember getting chicken pox. Right news to me. <laughs> I uh, We just missed the boat. We just I actually test I actually was part of the some of the trials giving giving the vaccine uh, to some of my patients back in the early 90s. It was tested for years. But um but that has to be the most frustrating thing. This anti-vaccination thing and you as a nurse working with children. Yes. That, that that has to be infuriating. Yeah. Uh, and, and interestingly, is is you know the way vaccines work is you you introduce what's called an antigen. It's the surface of a bacterium or a virus that teaches your immune system how to create the antibodies to it. That's all it does. And then your body now has learned how to respond. So when it gets the actual virus or bacterium, it will be able to create the antibodies and protect you uh, from it. You're essentially teaching your body to do the thing you're talking about, right. on-site learning. Right. A now lot of people don't understand. Right. And a lot of people don't understand even that basic part of it. And that's part of the problem. And so you, so you have a misunderstanding of how, it even, how they even work. And then they're kind of scary because there's needles. I always believed that if vaccines were just oral, that there would not be, there would not be the uh, objections that you see. The other thing is to understand is because immune systems are variable, uh, not everybody creates enough antibodies when they get a vaccine. So they're not 100% effective. Not everybody who gets a vaccine is going to get the full response that you're supposed to get. A lot of people don't realize that after you get a vaccine, you shouldn't take Tylenol. Ever again? No, right after the vaccine, because it will reduce, the, it will reduce your immune response. You're trying to teach your immune system how to respond. If you take Tylenol, it actually suppresses that. And so now you have uh, less, you're less likely to develop the antibodies you need. A lot of people don't know that. And I know a lot of nurses don't teach people that. So 
you know, some, that, so that kind of thing gets out there. So the, so the way vaccines work is that you have to have what's called herd immunity. You have to accept the fact that not everybody's going to be 100% protected. Mm -hmm. But if we have a high enough percentage, then, uh, then even if the, the, the uh, bug does get into the population, there won't be anybody to spread it to. And that's so, and so that's how. That's why, for example, for You've most never of met us, that had measles up until before. just a few years ago, measles was not even a thing. Um, we started to see it. You know, what I started to see was actually on college campuses after spring break, because students would go down to Florida, go down to South Carolina or something, and they would encounter it. And maybe they didn't have full. They may have got the vaccine as a kid but they didn't get full immunity. They then catch it because they're now caught in this little environment where they're close quarters with other people. And then they would come back to the campus and it would, get, it would spread through a dorm. Uh, because you need to have a certain amount, number of percentage of people that have enough immunity. And that number is, in the, like, is close to about 90%, a little bit better, 90, 90% 92%. Once you get below that, just statistically, things can start to spread. And so that's the problem. Even though most people do get their kids vaccinated, just a few people saying, no, I'm not sure about this, can create havoc among the rest of us who are vaccinated. How do you feel about schools telling parents that they are not allowed to enroll their kids in school if they're not vaccinated? Uh, I think it's a I think it's something that's necessary. Um, I agree. Because... Do you like that question? Can we ask that question? Of course we can. Okay, I didn't know. It's if common you... sense at this point. I agree. Well, one of the things like... that's one of the things that's getting thrown in there to muddy the waters is civil liberties. Like, oh, you're you're making me do something against my will. How can you do that? The problem is, is that you become. It's for the greater good if you get this shot. You become dangerous. My ability to throw a to throw my fist forward is fully protected until I touch David's nose. Mm -hmm. So it's big, it's easy. It's easy to hit. But <laughs> well, your face But my right to throw my fist stopped at that point. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with being unvaccinated. My right to be unvaccinated ends when I start to infect other children. I absolutely And agree. I know kids in school that are immunosuppressed. Uh, I also as I told you not everybody gets full immunity even though they got the vaccines and so when you introduce somebody into a school who hasn't been vaccinated um, you, you create a risk to the whole population of the school and one of the myths is is that childhood uh, diseases are harmless and I've seen children die and maimed from chickenpox really yes you it can, can die get, from the chickenpox you can die from the chickenpox you can die from measles most of these diseases and, and, and things like German measles will leave uh, people deaf. It will leave people um, infertile. I am and really so, getting off scot-free. And so... Right? We got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the, rea the reality is most people get through them. I think I never happened hanging with Germans. But... <laughs> the box don't sh fuck around. <laughs> most people get through them without a problem. So it's not, uh, you know... And that's why it's it's easy. What's called it's called anecdotal. I have an anecdote that well, I got chickenpox and I did fine, and you know, and so why are we worried about this? Um, people die. Yeah, some people did die, it's but like most a, people don't know that because yeah. because the numbers are small. 
uh, that's the problem. The other thing is when you start getting into public health and you get into epidemiology and you start seeing bigger numbers, you start to realize that, wow, the numbers of people that die from the measles now is minuscule. But if you go back to the 1950s, you see that it was hundreds of kids per year. Now, hundreds of kids per year out of a population of, at that time, there probably been about 40 million kids. Okay, that's still rare, but it's a whole lot more than it is now. Right now, there's about 70 million kids in the United States under 18. So yes, the numbers are, are small, but people are really bad at knowing odds. Big example, classic example is, you are much more likely to die driving to Philadelphia airport than getting on the plane and flying to Europe. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But people don't see that. They're afraid of getting on the plane, but they're not afraid to get in the car and going down 95, and that's when they're most likely to die. Mm -hmm. Disagree, but. <laughs> so statistics... I'm scared to get in my car still. <laughs> okay, all right. But, but people are really bad at statistics. It's why the lottery succeeds. It's because people are really bad <laughs> yeah. at understanding that one in 275 million means that you will not win. <laughs> you know? Our whole casinos exist. The whole casino right. industry is based off bad math. Exactly. I gambled once and I haven't gambled ever again. It made me so mad I'm not doing it. <laughs> You've saved yourself a lot of money. I, I spent $50 in one. I don't know why. I, I was like, if I spend $50, I'm totally going to get something. And I didn't. And I was like, well, fuck the casino. <laughs> you've heard you've heard of literacy. Well, there's also a, uh, there was a temple professor that wrote a book called Numeracy, where he talks about how people are illiterate about numbers and yes, odds in particular. And not odds in particular. And so people are really bad at that. And that's where some of this information, I think with the vaccines come in, it's that people are really bad at figuring out, yes, the, 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 the chances of something happening uh, bad with a vaccine are about one in three million. But the okay. chances of something happening bad with uh, getting the disease are much, Wait. much higher. But we're really bad at that, that math. What could happen, I mean, with the vaccine? I mean, I assume that people could be allergic to it and die. I yeah. assume that that's like the big one. The issue is that some people, um, a lot of people will have what's called a localized reaction. You get a rash, you get sore or that something like that. That doesn't sound so bad to me. Some people call that, an, will consider that an injury. But my feeling is, is if, it, if it passes and you have no long-term long problem, that's not an, you know, that's, that's, it, that's not a problem. It's a side effect. I'm glad right. we're on the topic of vaccines. Can you explain to me the flu shot? Okay, the flu shot is interesting because the why does that not work sometimes? Uh, the big problem with the flu is is that there's always a different flu every year. The vax the virus changes the surface of it, and it always changes and it's always different. And in order to make a vaccine, you have to then find that 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 virus that's going around. Uh, multiply it, create a vaccine, and then get it out to the whole population before it starts spreading around the world. And it goes around and around the world and constantly mutating. And so there's so there is usually three or four different viruses that have to be identified and they have to create a vaccine and then they have to get it out to the population. And it usually spreads in the winter time in your in your hemisphere. So in our hemisphere that's in the fall and October. And so that's what you. That's what they're trying to do is is to get that. Now, the other problem is not everybody. the The rates of vaccination are very low. Only Accurate. you know, mm -hmm. I think thirty, twenty to thirty percent of people actually get vaccinated. So that means it goes around a lot more. 
compared to like measles where you've got like here in Newcastle County, we probably have at least 85% of the population is vaccinated. Oh, I was going to say, what? They have measles? So, so that makes it a lot harder to get the measles, but it's easy to get, it's easy to get the flu. The other problem with the flu is, is that uh, because it is it's something that you're likely to get through and, and not have a problem at your age, as you get older, you start getting pneumonias and other complications and things that kill people. And so, yeah, I, so you don't get the flu shot and you're like, okay, maybe you'll get the flu and you'll have a couple of bad days and then you go back to work. But if you go to visit grandma in the nursing home, oh, no. you've now killed grandma and her, oh, no! and her, grandma! And her okay, roommate, we'll poor grandma. <laughs> so, so, so that's the other issue with the vaccination. So people could say, well, I don't want, I, you know, I'm okay if I don't get it. What the problem is you are putting other people at risk. I see. All right. Uh, so, so go get, get it. it. The other I'm thing sorry. is, it's, it's really free. I mean, you can, if you it look around, free. you can get it for free. So it's not like we're asking people to spend money on it. New thing. Every year, I get it. Does that protect me from that strand forever? No. All right. Uh, well, because the strains change. But if I have, if that it, particular strain came around again, and forever, and you, uh, a long no. time. A long time. Fair enough. <laughs> Sold. Yeah, there, there's controversies because it's hard to test. I mean, unless you start going around and injecting you with the vac with the virus and seeing how me. you respond, uh, they do a thing called titers, which is a which T I T E R S. You draw these. You draw them out of in the blood. That's really funny. Okay. It's, it's a titer, which is, is a, me a measurement of the amount of something. A titer is something, a measure of the amount of something in chemistry. And so you <laughs> measure... Those, my friend. Do you need to step outside? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you have spuds in your blood. <laughs> I didn't say taters. I said titers. T-I-T-E-S. No, I heard taters. <laughs> Well, my and I thought you said, uh, what did I think you said? I'm not sure. Instead of abortion, I thought you said uh, award shows. I thought real so we're even, Jeopardy. So we're, so. So, we're, so we're even. So we're even now. Um, no, so what they're doing is measuring the number of antibodies that you have. Okay. And so you can see if somebody supposedly has immunity to something based on their titers. T-I-T-E-R-S. Titers. My family's from Elkton, so I, I, I still hear taters. <laughs> Titers. <laughs> titers. I like mash titers. Mash titers. <laughs> oh, somebody Tider pointed pups. out to me the other day that I use D's in place of T's often. Yeah. Yeah, Joe was like, can you say the word Baltimore for me? And Baltimore. I was like, Baltimore? And yeah. he was like, no, no, Baltimore. And I was like, oh. Don't they say Baltimore down there? It's Baltimore. Just Baltimore? It's Baltimore. I remember we've talked about this before, but the way we say water. Um, fuck you in the water situation. <laughs> she hates it. Well, I grew no, up saying no, water, there's a story. water. In Philadelphia, you say water. You know, he I grew went up. out of his way to say water for a whole month uh -huh. just to piss me off. I did. And finally, I was like, why are you doing that? You know that's fucking awful. And he's like, just to make you mad. I did. Is that when you went to McDonald's and you're like, can I have a water? Yeah, and I was practicing. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Reason I well, I remember in college, I spent a summer in Colorado at a VA hospital working there as a nursing student, and my Philadelphia accent was the butt of many jokes, and I tried to change it. Well, I think we are just about uh, 
we kind of want to start wrapping things up. Sure. We do have a little surprise for you. But okay. We want to play a little bit of a game. Okay. What I have here, it's a little quiz. Right. It and is called What is in my mouth. <laughs> what is what? What is in my mouth. That's the name of the game. It's not, but. We turn off all the lights and play Who's in my mouth. Uh, uh, goodbye. <laughs> Drive safely, everybody. What I have here. Because we're talking about critical thinking. Yeah. And so what I have is I have a list of five logical fallacies. Oh, no. And I'm a huge fan of logical fallacies, so I'm going to let you know I did run with this a little bit. Uh uh, And I apologize in advance. So I'm going to give you five logical fallacies, and then I'm going to give you five definitions. And I just want to see if you can match them up. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you... So these are the five logical fallacies. I have a a list that you (sighs) can have, so you don't have to remember them. The fallacies. make me look bad. Ad hominem. Straw man. False dichotomy, proof surrogate, equivocation. Okay. These are all fallacies. That's your list. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I get to look at them. So here's the first definition. Mm -hmm. Let's see if you can figure this out. A claim masquerading as proof or evidence when no such proof or evidence is actually being offered. I have have examples for all of them except for this one. (laughs) We didn't want to make it too easy. Say it again, please. All right. And can you put it in the... <laughs> can you put it in the form of a question? I know. I, I, suck, I, have a, I forgot to get an example for this one. Um, a claim masquerading as proof or evidence when no such proof or evidence is actually being offered. So, so just stating my opinion. Essentially, yeah. Stating your opinion is fact. <sighs> Stephen King is the best writer on the planet. <laughs> there it is. Well, I've never heard of proof surrogate. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, I know what I know what the other four are, but I don't know what proof surrogate is. Okay, okay. So kind of by process of elimination, there. Yeah. You think it might? That it your sounds final answer? since it doesn't seem to me to match the other definitions that you're talking about. Okay. That is correct. You are okay. on the board. Okay. I should also uh, mention the. I should also mention the, uh, the wager of this. Oh. If you get three questions correct, yeah. then me and Morgan uh, actually have to take an additional shot at the end okay. of the show. If okay. you don't, then you have to take an additional shot. Okay. As 61 years old, and we are now forcing you to do this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> at noon. A PhD. <laughs> <laughs> but you're off to a good start. You're already on the board. Okay. Question two. Substituting a person's actual position or argument with a distorted, exaggerated, or misrepresented version of the original... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, version of the position of the argument. Straw man. Easy. He's on. That's two for two. Well, we're fucked. He made this quiz. Number three. When only two choices are presented, yet more exist. So like a like a very a black and white argument. Uh, False dichotomy. Easy. God damn it. Not even thinking of you. You want to keep going? I mean, sure. Why not? <laughs> and you were you were scared at the beginning of this. You were screwing with us, you son of a bitch. I don't like how she's already coming over and taking our glasses. She's already, yeah, she's already de- decided we're defeated. So what do you want? Uh, bourbon, I guess. I, mean, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Abby, our wonderful PA today. Ta-da! Question four. Mm-hmm. Claiming the argument is flawed by pointing out that the one making the argument is not acting consistently with the claims of the argument. Ad hominem. Oh, fuck you. Is that essentially telling the other person you're dumb? Essentially. A lot of times that's what's used. Yeah, this is Ed Hahnemann. They'll say, well, you're you're just a poopy head. <laughs> so, I'll have to use that as a point next time. Yeah. <laughs> Listen here, poopy head. <laughs> Look here. Mr. Poopy butthole. And just to clear the board, obviously the last one, by process of elimination, using an ambiguous term 
in more than one sense, thus making the argument misleading. Equivocation. Absolutely. Very well done. Clear the board. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before we leave today. Yes. Uh, is there anything that you would like to tell the people about critical thinking or even about your nursing practice that, that you just want to tell the people so they know and stop asking you? <laughs> Do you get asked lots of questions? I would say, when well. When people find out you're a nurse? Yes. I was yeah. going to say, yeah. I still to this day Can you day look at this weird welt for me? Sure. <laughs> I call my mom all the time. I have a weird thing on my leg. I'm going to send you a picture. Can you if look you at it and tell me what it if is, If you can please? afford it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I want people to know is, is learn to learn. Don't just, you know, one of the things like on Reddit very often is you see people asking questions that you could have Googled it yourself. Yes. And found the answer. And I would say, start learning how to search learn you know learn and also when you do your search don't click on the first thing you see but also learn how to evaluate the results look through and saying is this coming is this taking me to because the google will tell you um where it's going to take you is this going to a commercial site or is it going to uh something that is um from a government site, a CDC site, for example, when it comes to, to medical information. Yeah. Are they know. selling you something? Is it a credible source? Right. So if it's selling, if it's sending you to some homeopathic medicine site, or is it sending you to the CDC, go to the CDC first right. and make your, you know, so, so don't just click on things because Google told me to. You can trust the government when it comes to medicine? Start to make, yes, because the, um, what you see posted on there has been extremely well vetted. There's a lot of uh, research and, and literature and usually years of things have to be shown before they put it up there. So that's, that's a pretty good place to, to start with your, with your information. So learn to learn. Learn how to search for things. Learn to, to have some judgments. Mm -hmm. Don't just accept. Be a skeptic. Um, but that doesn't mean for example, with the anti-vaccine, sure, be a skeptic, but don't mm -hmm. just go to Jenny McCarthy for your information. Oh, Jenny McCarthy too? Yeah. Jenny, God damn it. Jenny's, God damn it. Is it nothing sacred? So, so go to the sites that give the facts and say, and then when you see people that say, um, well, that's a lie or something saying, well, what is why are you saying that? What's behind that? And very often I find like one of the things they lurk at is the vaccine sites. There's a there's a Reddit going back to Reddit where it says Vax happened, where people post things that that vaccine anti-vaccination people say. So it's usually like uh, I refused my vaccinations and the nurse applauded me in the emergency room. For, yeah. And, and we say Vax happened. Yeah. You know, like that means that means that did not, you know, like we don't really believe you. Oh, I was so, going to say, I don't believe that. Or right, that nurse is right. dumb. Oh, right. there's a great subreddit for you called r slash quit your bullshit that you'd love as yeah. well. So, so the idea is, is, is just don't go to those, you know, anti sources. And because what I find is when I look at their arguments, they usually have things that are just not true. So, for Poopy example, one of the things that they say is uh, those there's thimerosal in the uh, in the which is a ethyl mercury preservative that was used in a lot of vaccines as a preservative. It's now only used in multi-dose flu vaccine 
people don't people haven't gotten it for years so for but for years it was blamed on autism people say oh it's the thimerosal that was causing the um the autism well it's been out of vaccines for 18 years now it happened to me so you got yeah so we know <laughs> chicken pox chicken pox so you have people now who um you know still complain about something that didn't that's no longer there so my argument back to them is if you're going to use correlation and causation and mix those two up then when they took it out and 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 people say, well, autism rates have risen, then I guess the thimerosal was actually preventing autism. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so be careful about your, be careful about your arguments. I so. also think that autism rates are up uh, because people are getting their kids checked out more often. I think yeah, that's well, the thing. Uh, yeah, I, we, could, we could go another hour on this, but the reason is, is that- What are you doing next weekend? The definition, <laughs> I think I'll come back. New podcast. The, the definition of autism has really expanded. <laughs> And uh, it's understood a lot better now. And so, and the other thing is, is that you get services as a child in school if you have an autism diagnosis. So it's actually, now we're, we're getting a better picture of what is, there's actually no, they actually don't even use the word autism anymore. They say spectrum, you're on yeah. the autistic spectrum. And so it's, it's a whole series of things. There's like three columns of things and you have to have one from here and one from there and one from there. And it has to, then it has to affect your life. And if you have all of that, then you're on the spectrum. You have a lot of things that are spectrum adjacent that look like autism, but are not. So anyway, you, the, the bottom line is you have a lot of people who are um, now being diagnosed that have it, people that were previously diagnosed or now labeled with something else but people are looking for it and so that's that's a big part of it the other thing is people throw out statistics oh it used to be 150 and now it's one one in 100 and now it's one in 80 and they think well that means that all kids are going to get autism Ooh, hold back one in 150 means <clears throat> what a um, half a percent one in 100 means one percent one in 80 means one point eight percent or something so it's not like the population is now all going to be autistic <laughs> it just means that we're so, now identifying a the tiny pop tiny portion of the population that that has it so a lot of people get um, misunderstand numbers misunderstand statistics do you think that's where like the whole crisis is people just not understanding numbers yeah you know it goes back to my enumeracy uh, problem you know, where people don't understand statistics they don't understand risk they don't understand what, what a percentage is, um, what that means. And then going back to David's thing, people are scared of being wrong, yeah. essentially. It's just, it's an emotional thing. Mm. Where the second that, like, they, there's a, logic didn't put that that viewpoint in them, so you can't use logic to pull them out of it. It's an emotional thing. They feel a certain way because of something else entirely, and that's what, then they do, they, they're using this, this crazy belief, and, and they're projecting that, as a way to, to protect themselves on something they can't deal with. It's a good point. It's a good point. You know, and especially when you get downvoted yeah, for having downvoted. the incorrect for having the incorrect response. Those two downvotes really got to you. Didn't yeah. yeah, they did. I'm still stealing about them. So you have people. My cat's fucking cool. Guys. I like my cat, and I don't care what you say. <laughs> but you have people who, yeah, I think are, yeah, I think it's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it so much before, but yeah, if you're you're afraid of being. Uh, wrong, which brings back to you know 
if you have facts behind you, then go ahead. But also be willing that if somebody refutes those facts, look at the validity of those facts and say, you know, Man, do maybe they, I was wrong. Do they, yeah, maybe I was wrong and I can change. But it gets back to that confirmation bias. If you're only yeah. listening to the things you want to listen to, if you're only looking you're at the sites. Right. Right, that yeah. you're just getting, you're, it's called the echo chamber. Yes. You're only listening to what you want to hear and not listening to what the other side is saying. And some people can't accept that they might be wrong. Like somebody say, somebody actually saying the words, I was wrong, mm -hmm. or even just thinking that, they can't handle that. So they always have to be right and they will defend that idea to the end. Well, it really hurts your self-esteem, yeah. you know, and, and it gets back to education where you were criticized for being wrong, for giving a wrong answer instead of you know, they're saying, oh, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't right. Let's try it a different way. You lost points. You were flunked. Yeah. You were, you know, you were, so, so people see, see being wrong as being, um, a failure, a failure or a sin even. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Getting religious over here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Behind. What? It's a wrong. It's a different one. I know. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to spell that for you too. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brent Thompson. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show with You're us very today. Welcome. We are just about out of time. I had a great time here. We had a great time having you. We'll have to have you back on as our medical expert, or at least sure. our critical thinking expert. Sure. Uh, whenever Any, we have a question. Anytime. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for listening to the Maximum Mediocrity podcast. Uh, think critically about everything and. Vaccinate your fucking kids. Have Wear a, a condom. Wear a condom. Mm -hmm. Angels of mercy or whores. listening to the Geekscape Network.